25th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How are you doing, Roger? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So we spend a lot of time on the podcast, as well as with our clients, talking about numbers and facts across the wireless industry, as well as you know cable and, and media, et cetera. But one of the things I've heard you say many, many times is that numbers and facts don't make decisions, but that people do, right? And so I thought one thing that we could talk about today that, that might be interesting is uh, given that the leadership teams at all three national carriers have changed over the last year, what can we learn about kind of the, the change in strategies and, and investments, et cetera, that we see from those carriers under, under new leadership? Yeah, I think... You know, we, we've seen them all diverge from the, the old paths, and and that's natural. You know, you and I worked together at Nielsen, and I worked with uh, with the carrier executives for for till the early 2000s, and we supplied them at, at Nielsen with with the same data, and each carrier made a different decision based on the same data, and that that's really that insight here. That that's important. You know, we have a new leadership team at AT and T. We have a new leadership team at Verizon. A new leadership team at at T Mobile. And let's look at T Mobile right first, because here is the carrier that has been uh, winning against the competition with a under under John Ledger with a strategy that was going hard after postpaid phone net ads and it has dominated that over how many years now six seven right and then john rode into the sunset and mike siever took over braxton carter retired at the same time you know and and the leadership changed with it and chief executives are are setting the tone for the company it's it's you can't underestimate that. So one of the things that happened very early on was the announcement that uh, we're now going to focus on ARPA, right? Mm-hmm. And we're optimizing the spend that we're getting from people. Well, what happened? Under John Ledger, what, 80 90% of net ads were phone net ads. Now... This fell off to half of postpaid net ads, right? Massive amount of change in, in, in strategy. And then when we look at it, even in the fourth quarter, yes, they they came in with with 800 something thousand phone net ads, right? And we did the math together on 95,000 accounts. So the growth of that's like 11 or what is it seven or eight phones per account and our incremental arpu of an of a customer would have been like six bucks something like that what that tells you is that a lot lot of these 800,000 phone net ads came from third line which is free at T-Mobile at the existing base but you know, with T-Mobile being relatively low margin, 
that has the lowest margin of the, 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 the three carriers. They have a lot more room to grow, so profitability nicely grows. Wall Street is still enthusiastic about 800,000 uh, phone net ads, but that quality went down under from compared to John Ledger tenure. Well, I mean, I would say that, you know, T-Mobile is definitely a growth, growth story, right? And, and I think one of the things that we saw a lot of or have seen a lot of you know, over time is that, you know, there's only so many people who are willing to switch in a given period of time. And, and T-Mobile has won a large proportion of those folks for quite some time. But, you know, as they've grown and as they've kind of taken the low-hanging fruit from some of the other carriers, I, I do think it's incrementally harder for them to get those high-value subscribers, right? And you see, particularly with like their Magenta Max plan that just came out, they're trying to move up in terms of you know getting more and more of those premium subscribers because a lot of the kind of lower end switching pool type subscribers that are out there they've already gotten right and so yes yeah from that perspective you're right you know in in the top 10 markets they have 50 60 percent market share they can't squeeze that a lot more. That's why their rural expansion plan is so critical, because here they, they have share in like the 20s, right? That's where they, they are going to take, which is like re- pretty ironic that the strength, uh, the areas of strength for AT&T and Verizon is rural America, together with the smaller rural carriers. And T-Mobile simply didn't go there. They have network, but no distribution. Well, it ties back to Spectrum, right? I mean, until they had acquired their 600 megahertz Spectrum, they didn't really have a good coverage story. Well, they had 700, but still, you know, they're going to go to town in rural America. It's like Walmart coming to town and taking out all the mom and pops, right? From that perspective, it's going to be difficult. But still, yes, T-Mobile is a growth story, but the quality of growth has gone down, right? Partly due to necessity, partly due to strategy, right? John Ledger is a much more pugnacious fighter than than Mike Sievert. Both, both are very competitive, but the tone that they strike is, is also different, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Sievert more or less started as CMO when Ledger came over, right? So I, I think there's Part of what Ledger did, Sievert was always involved into a point. But I do agree that Ledger really, really almost made it personal for all the other kind of CEOs in in wireless based on how aggressive he was with all these promotions and things like calling AT&T and Verizon dumb and dumber. Just communication in a way that that had not happened prior to that uh, in the wireless, wireless industry. And I think, you know, Candidly, I, I really caught a lot of folks off guard and, and really kind of, I think, annoyed some of the other the other folks in wireless. Well, yeah, and and because in the end, they all somehow somewhere work together, right? One of the, the little known facts is that John Ledger worked for Dan Hesse at one point in time at AT and T, right? Mm-hmm. I met Mike Sievert 20 years ago when he was CMO of AT&T Wireless, the old AT&T Wireless, AWE, right? So all of these people know each other. And John went certainly tougher on them than before. You know, Dan, Dan Hesse, who, who I like very much, went pretty hardcore after Ralph De La Vega when, when, when AT&T 
try to buy T-Mobile and things like that. So we have personal animosities, but this has now more declined. And I think you can be more magnanimous when, when you're actually winning so hard, right? So, but, you know, then we look at, let's look at Verizon, right? Verizon under under Hans Westberg, you know, very clearly says, you know, you know, we'll we'll Verizon 2.0, which which quite drives a line of delineation between, you know, the Verizon of of Denny Striegel and and also to a degree of Floel McAdam, right? And I know all three of them too, and. The company has certainly changed over the years. Yeah, it's a different company, let's say it this way. The network focus, I think Danny and Dick Lynch, who would have ripped people's head off if they would have launched like 5G in Chicago like, like Verizon did. It's just like inconceivable, right? Uh, they've basically given up network superiority which was for, what, 20 years, the hallmark of, of Verizon Wireless. And, and that came through miscalculations, like thinking, you know, we can do cell-side splitting instead of buying more spectrum, and, and partially, like, oh, shucks, you know. I don't understand why neither AT&T nor Verizon didn't fight the purchase of of Sprint by by T-Mobile much harder because the, the writing there was on the wall. But anyway, you see it now on the strategy. It's much more focused on profitability through content partnerships. Yeah, so I, mean, I would I would characterize historical Verizon as being very focused on kind of operational excellence. And I think there's still a lot of that there, right? Like when you hear folks at Verizon talk, it's very, very rarely do you ever hear them not mention something around, you know, kind of operational excellence, things like that. They, they were by far the best executing carrier, especially on network. T-Mobile was by far the worst. And I think T-Mobile has, has caught up and more than caught up to Verizon. Well, I, mean, I would say that network parity has caught up to them in some respects, right? So in a lot of ways, kind of T-Mobile historically has been an underdog brand and is, is undercut on price. And, and you know, the, the fundamental decision that consumers make is, do I want something cheap or that's inexpensive, that works good enough, or do I want something that's more expensive that works all the time? And, and the choice was between, you know, it was a Verizon versus T-Mobile decision. And, and I think now, at least for the last three or four years, there's been relative parity. Most folks have pretty good service or at least good enough service for their specific use case. Yeah, but he, here's the thing. With every G, that competitive mix gets reshuffled. And Verizon traditionally was the one first out of the, the starting blocks and had a lead that lasted them until the new generation came out. That carrier that's the first out of the starting block is T-Mobile now. So, granted, I'll give you that. That I think that you know, T-Mobile's spectrum position and their you know kind of execution, network is really execution good. et cetera, is is working better than Verizon at this point. But I think you know, one thing I would say is you know, it's all about what what is the use case, right? And I think it still remains to be seen what the final kind of use case for five G is going to be, right? Like, 
you can still stream high def video on a 4G device with no problem, right? Like yeah, and 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 the movie doesn't end quicker or with a better happy end, right? Yes, but it it doesn't matter. People, it's extremely difficult to argue with faster isn't better, no matter how useless. That that is because you know I've been joking forever that uh, speed test is the five G killer app, right? But it doesn't matter. You, you can't you can't go to a customer and say you know a slower network is is as good as a faster network. It just doesn't fly. But I, I want to go back to Verizon that they that they are betting really big time on content, and I think I think that's a very very dangerous route they're going down because the content distributors are not your friend. The content distributors are like drug dealers. They give you your content for cheap. You hook your customers on it and then they raise prices. We've seen this movie before. The cable industry is this, the reason why the satellite industry is in such despair and, and terminal decline is because the content owners are raising prices over and over again. The customers get like, you know, presented with a higher bill. They get p- pissed off at at Dish and, and DirecTV, AT&T DirecTV, and are leaving. And go to the go to the, the, the SVOD, like the Disney Pluses and the alike, at a much lower price with the new shows, which by the way got funded by by the money they got out of the distribution partners. So, I mean, to be, to be fair, all, all of the carriers have content deals, right? And there's a, I think what the distinction you're making is between first party content like AT&T has, right? Where they are actually producing the content and then using their network to distribute it versus third party content where you're beholden to a, another a company that may have different kind of incentives, right? So I would say that T-Mobile also has this situation with Netflix. Yeah, it's equally stupid. But here's the thing. Nobody's joining a wireless carrier because of the free content they get. That's like picking your restaurant based on the free coffee you get at the end. Who cares? If the meal sucks, who cares if you get a free coffee, right? And AT&T paid in the front and Verizon will pay in the back. And the more T-Mobile does this, the, the, the more, more this suffers too. It's very interesting. You know, the first one in with content was AT&T, and they were the first one out, right? Just as AT&T was pulling out because that whole bundling strategy of, oh, we, we, we bundle content with wireless didn't work, right? Right as they pulled out, Verizon went in and like, like, like big time. You know, it almost reminded me with Ericsson because Hans Westberg was the CEO of Ericsson, right? And people were admiring Ericsson and Hans for avoiding all the pitfalls that inflicted Nokia, Alcatel, and every other infrastructure provider. And right at the as the other guys went out, Ericsson went full speed into the same ditch. And Hans was at the was out of a job and resurfaced at, at Verizon. And now, just as AT&T pulls out of that content ditch, right, they, they go full, full speed in. You know, history repeats itself. So we've talked about 
Verizon. We've talked about T-Mobile. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about at and John Stanky. Well, I'm uh, I'm very positively surprised. A year ago, I was very concerned for AT and T because the course under under Randall Stevenson it was going sideways, and and that's saying it nicely, right? And John took over AT and T, and he fully took over when in June. And those two quarters were quite surprising, right? The third quarter, they benefited a little bit from the Keep America Connected line over over cutting, and then they reinstated them. But fourth quarter, wow, really? And they invested very heavily in it. They innovated by giving the same deal to new customers and existing customers at the same time, because that's not normal. Usually the existing customers are being taken for granted and only the new ones are getting the better deal. Uh, and, and But at the same time, the profitability tanked, right? But this is an AT&T that's fighting. You and I did the assessment, and we thought, like, if nothing changes, T-Mobile is going to continue to kick ass. Verizon is going to be a reasonably strong second, and AT&T is, is being third, right? You know, now AT&T, with their net numbers, they're, they're in striking distance of, of AT&T. I am very positively impressed. But it shows huge leadership. One of the things that's interesting to me is, you know, we've always seen this dynamic where there's always one carrier that's kind of at the bottom. And for the last five or six years, it was Sprint. And I know when you and I looked at the numbers, you know, roughly, Sprint was roughly 20% of subs and 20% of gross ads, right? Yeah, when when Sprint goes away, you know, ironically, the industry gets more competitive, right? Because there's no longer one player that's kind of on the bottom flailing, and everybody has to kind of step their game up, right? And I think that AT&T really did that in the sense that they got more aggressive on retention. They realized that they didn't want to be that carrier on the bottom that was feeding. Yeah, and and to a certain extent with, you know, the, the, the problems of AT&T are well documented. The acquisition of DirecTV didn't pan out, and that's putting it nicely, right? The acquisition of, of Time Warner flew right into the face of covid which you couldn't see coming, right? So expectations got really, really low. And you can look at it in two different ways. It's either a soul-crushing experience of the walls are are coming in at you and you're going to be squashed uh, because you're a victim of circumstances. Or you can say, the expectations are so low, I'm already dead, I can do whatever I want to, right? And in a way, that's what John Ledger did when he took over T-Mobile. He he rightfully recognized that if I do the same thing as my predecessors have done, I will have the same outcomes. I will suck so bad, it's not even funny. So let's just throw the existing playbook out of the window because it didn't work and, and do something else. And if it works, I'm a hero. And if it doesn't work, I can say this thing was so messed up, I couldn't save it for the for my life for the life of it, right? And the man is a hero, right? Because it, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, turnaround uh, here. You know, 
John DeLorean did, did a similar thing there. It's like people will write business cases if they haven't already about this stuff. Yep. I mean, it's, it's definitely a story of cutting the fat. I think while COVID has had a, a really negative impact, obviously, on Warner Media, I also think there are some some tailwinds, too, in terms of you know, the cost of capital is very, very low. All the carriers have refinanced, and AT&T in particular was able to aggressively push some of their debt out at lower lower rates, right? So to the extent that all of this operates on financing at some level, that ha- managed to do this at a time when when the cost of capital was very, very low. Yeah, that, that is the fortuitous side effect. You know, you can look for misery wherever you want to, or you can look for for a silver lining. And and yes, that, that allowed all of the carriers to refinance dramatically the balance sheets and at, at dramatically lower costs. So good for them. And they that's, that's what allowed them to invest, what, $80, $90 billion in C-band spectrum, which they all desperately need, right? John Stanky and his team really got together and started, let's fight, right? Whereas previously with Randall Stevenson and John Stevens, the CFO, you know, his influence, I think, is publicly underestimated, you know, and he will be leaving in couple of weeks, right? There's a new leadership team at the top. And so it will be interesting on, on how this continues because, yes, the growth at, at AT&T has cost money, right? Well, and I think we, we did the numbers on it, right? And, and by our estimates, you know, one of the things that made those aggressive retention offers possible was the longer timeline on some yes. of those device contracts, right? So yeah. historically, device agreements have only been you know 24 months the AT&T device agreements are 36 months they didn't really make sense at 24 months right and so correct AT&T is you know willing to take lower profits over an extended period of time to reduce churn right that's the fundamental trade off they're making yeah it's a fascinating time and looking at the people is is really really interesting Watch at the people and look at what they do with with the cards that are being dealt. But I do think that's a good place to stop. Thanks, Roger. We'll talk to you next week, okay? Talk to you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.